Hello, friends. You're listening to Exit Point, a podcast about the advancement of base jumping and an exploration of its culture. I'm Laurent Fratt, producer and co-host. Please support this independent production by visiting our Buy Me a Coffee link in the description and give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. In this episode, I speak with Luke Rogers, a professional wingsuit pilot from Australia. He's won multiple national titles, podiumed at various world championships, and was the first person in the world to flare a wingsuit over 100 meters. Luke is constantly training, competing, and coaching at wingsuit events. He's extremely generous with all his tips and tricks when it comes to flying wingsuits. Knowing Luke, this conversation will be packed with a ton of info about maximizing performance, and we'll have some laughs along the way. So with that, let's get Luke on the track. How long were you a professional bodybuilder? Uh, so from, it was a very short career. It was like the lead up to it was 11 years of actually building my body and then competing for only 2012, 2013. And I'm not sure if I competed 2014. I think I was still building and then I got into skydiving and then it was all over. <laughs> and then I As realized the way with many hobbies and sports, once you find sky sports. Yeah. It was like, holy shit, there's a, there's a planet outside of this gym and it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes I, I used to, to so sleep in the chicken, <laughs> rice and broccoli, right? I used to have to like, it got to a stage where my jaw was sore from chewing food like i had jaw fatigue so i had to just like supplement a lot of supplement like just protein shakes just drink through a straw just to get through it sometimes just from chewing man like it's hectic do you see any carryover from bodybuilding to wingsuit competition yeah heaps so uh bodybuilding uh taught me basically it's a state of mind it basically just because you're breaking through all these barriers of, you know, you just mind over matter, you're just getting through that. And then competition, you're just always pushing your body to to its max and then seeing how far beyond you can go. And then because your, your body's maxed out, um, you've got no water in your body pretty much. And you just, your body's at its max exerted everything, um, fatigue, you're dehydrated and then you've got to put on a show as well. And so it's just basically just in this meditative state where there's so much going on that you've just got to concentrate and just work on what you actually can control and then shut everything else out. And so that mindset sort of carried on to, to skydiving where it's a piece of cake. You have to fly up before you do your run and that's a perfect time to just visualize your runs basically doing these perfect runs over and over and over and over in your head all the way up. And by the time you actually get out of the plane, you've already done five, you've done it five times already. So you just, you just going through it the sixth time and go, Oh yeah, it was probably better than my second or third visualization or whatever. And so that just prepares you like the visualizations um, are pretty intense with bodybuilding. Cause when, when you're contracting muscles, you're, you're just trying to get that mind muscle connection and you're trying to feel and you're trying to visualize how it's going to look or how you want it to look at, at the end of everything. And so you just, you're doing your bicep curls and you're imagining how you want the finished product to look like. And then you look at your own and you're like, Oh, I need to work on, you know, 
the left outer or the or the right sort of inner side of that, and then you go, all right, I'll get those, I'll get to those exercises and do that. What is your visualization like for wingsuit competition? Ah, so wingsuit competition visualizations. Basically, I just visualize the entire run. So from I exit the air, so I visualize from the start getting in the door, picking my reference points. So I imagine as the plane's coming along, I'm looking because we've got to fly to um, particular points. So we've got our own particular lanes. And so this is so we're not crisscrossing each other during speed runs, which could be super dangerous. So I'm visualizing my point and I'm visualizing looking down um, basically on the ground as the plane's flying along and picking reference points so I can dive at one and peel out at another one and that will connect the dots to my actual visualization or the actual point I'm flying to. And then on top of that, I'm just visualizing myself actually going into the dive, thinking about my angle of attack, thinking about my body configuration and then the timing of it. So in my head, I've got a fly sight that times down like three, two, one, flare, entering. And I'll, I'll visualize. It literally speaks to you. Yeah, it literally speaks to me. And so while I'm, I'm visualizing and hearing those cues and I'm visualizing me peeling out of a, of a dive like this at those cues, and uh and then your hand gesturing like a, a planing out yeah planing out so and after that it's just i i visualize the sounds because i've also got beeps which tells me my forward speed so high forward speed is like dit, 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 dit. and then a low forward speed goes dit, 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 do, 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 do. so that that means you've cooked it and it's all over <laughs> all over red rover um <laughs> So yeah, I just listen to my to the specific beep that I have and it's it's around mid-range and I just visualize hearing that beep and then locking my angle locking my wingsuit configuration in and just adjusting my angle of attack compared to what so I'm actually visualizing feeling my wingsuit angle of attack just just as if I'm actually doing it. The only thing that's different from when I visualize it to when I do it is that my actual body is actually doing it in f- in the physical world? Other than that, it's very hard for my mind to tell the difference. Everything because I. It sounds like you. Sorry, it sounds like you go into ex- really extensive detail in your visualization process. Like yeah, I just asked you, like, what do you visualize? And you literally walk through the entire run, uh, the entire process. Yeah, so that's that you have to be that specific. Otherwise, it's you could screw it up and then you, you're, act, you're reacting to the environment around you. You're not acting something out that you've already done a million times. Like to me, it has to be as real as possible because when I visualize things, I, I've got a very vivid, vivid imagination and I can hear, smell, I can see things in like a 3D CAD. So if I want to, as I dive out the aircraft, I can spin the camera around and see myself from different views as well in my, in my head. And so I can just visualize, oh, what? yep, that was a sweet exit and then give my, give my whole body a scan and then go back to the POV. It's, man, my brain's weird, but that's how it works. Like it's very visual. When, when did you get involved with uh, performance flying? Uh, it was very early on. Um, 
So basically when I was skydiving, I started in 2014 and then when I was doing that, I saw one of my mates, Chris Burns, he was doing tracking suit jumps at the time and he was only like, oh, he was about a hundred jumps in front of me. So he was always one up. He was always one up. And so he was like, Hey dude, maybe you should get a tracking suit and just start tracking. And I was like, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. I want a wingsuit, blah, blah, blah. I did the old typical, oh yeah, I saw grinding the crack. I want to do that. Woo. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Sail. (laughs) (laughs) Sail. (laughs) Yeah, so I did all that dumb stuff. Um, And yeah, so basically I was just chasing Chris Burns. And Was it really dumb though? I mean, because remember, like I remember when I first put it, I was on the same path you know like i wasn't that inspired by grinding the crack but it was like uh i remember putting on a tracksuit for the first time and going like i have unbelievable power now (laughs) and just thinking like this is amazing and yeah yeah like man those were pretty impressive days yeah definitely so sorry to interrupt there though so you you uh you met burns and and you guys were tracking and uh so so basically early on in your skydiving career you're like okay i'm gonna go on the wingsuit path and uh and then performance flying came shortly thereafter yeah because burns said hey get this device called a fly sight and you can listen to your glide ratios and see which ones you can hold and see what see what you're able to hold and so i was from a very early stage i was doing performance flying in my tracking suit from the very start he was teaching me performance flying and then obviously as soon as i got my wingsuit i was already i already knew how to use the fly sight i could analyze my data so from yeah i i smoked my wingsuit instructor on my first flight because i thought you just went all out and i lost him (laughs) i just burnt him (laughs) (laughs) i was like hey man you, you don't have to like go flat out everywhere. You can like slow down like because we were both in the original Swifts and those things were beasts. I don't know if you remember those things, but they were, they were huge for a first flight suit. And yeah, we I just smoked him. It was hilarious. And uh, <laughs> but yeah. you're like, hey, aren't you supposed to be able to stay with me during this coaching session? Yeah, it was... <laughs> I think he actually chopped too because he was jumping a JFX 1999 or So he had a chop on my first flight course and I just so I was just like scooting along. I was like, man, I didn't even see him. And I was like, whose canopy's that? And then I just seen him like floating in the distance. I was like, man, he's not having a good day. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's funny. Do you um back to visualization a little bit? Do you yeah. visualize um canopy malfunctions everything everything even um even even my uh emergency procedures you know just everything comes down to visualizations that's very important to me because that's the biggest thing i pulled away from bodybuilding was your visualizations like i could when i was um yeah sorry to go a bit off track but i could when i was imagining things i could imagine me walking on stage and me being a spectator watching actually me walk on stage and and me thinking holy fuck that dude is jacked he is ripped oh man so i could i could just imagine other people's um reactions to what my body looked like and that's the same with my wingsuit performance like when i when i rock up to the first like the first day i will go straight to the podium have a look at that uh the podium and look at the first 
and then I'll just visualize myself for the for the remaining of the comp with me just standing up there, already just taking that medal. And so all I'm doing for the rest of the time is like, all right, I visualize this. It's already happened. I'm just coming there to collect it. That's it. I'm just coming to collect whatever I've worked for already. And it's just up to me to put it together. There's a lot of talk about um, positive visualization, right? Like visualizing success. But yeah. then when we're talking about emergency procedures and potentially having to chop and all the things that come with that, that's not necessarily positive, right? No, um, not at are all. You able to, are you able to, or how does that fit into your thought process, visualization, game plan as far as staying positive on, on winning? So when, when, I mean, I think it comes, comes down to, um, you know, the scariest thing in wingsuiting is deploying in your big, big race suit. Um, I had some really sketchy sort of, uh, malfunctions early on because I just like, clearly I just wasn't ready for those big suits, but I wanted to jump them just like everyone says like, Oh, the bigger suit won't give you all the performance that you're after. You need to work small and then work your way up. And it's just like a hard realization if you do skip a suit size and get there that, um, yeah, you really need to, you know, work on that progression from the smaller suits up because, yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't bring the wingsuit to a appropriate trim speed to deploy. I was always deploying too fast, flaring too high, deploying too slow and just throwing it into burble. And then it's through those um, times that I screwed up that I knew exactly how to visualize, all right, well, I need to visualize the perfect deployment and the perfect trim speed because I know what that sound is now. But if things go to crap, I know how to visualize to use my appropriate emergency procedures in those crappy times to get out of it. So it's not, it's not worrying me either way if it goes bad or good. But um, yeah, I, I can't emphasize enough. Chops are not to be taken lightly in a wingsuit. That's for sure. It's not just like, oh yeah, I'm in a wingsuit. I just chopped. But if you understood, if you understood the crazy crap that can happen with all that fabric, you'd, you'd be scared. Yeah, that's a difference. There's, um, I think, a lot of like misconceptions out there about, oh well, you have two good parachutes. You know, like don't be, <laughs> be afraid to use it. And that may be the case for like slick jumping. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, reserve deployments in a wingsuit are real emergencies. That Yeah, that's right. Um, and I mean, a perfect case is, you know, I think a lot of people are surprised when I say this, but, and I, I'm surprised the, pe the amount of people that don't know this, but man, when I, I only unzip my tail and take my tail out, like basically get my legs out of the tail when I've got a perfectly operating canopy before i pop my toggles so if i and the reason yeah, being, let's go into that a little bit because that's that plays a big role in uh fighting line twist right so um, yeah yeah please elaborate a little bit more why you think that's a good idea yeah so basically i zip from my from my chest my chest zippers all the way down to my feet and then take my feet out and essentially i'm free from my wingsuit and i've got this massive cape out the back when i'm under canopy um but what I do is I unzip everything. I've got my cape 
per se, in between my legs, locked out, and then I'll pop my toggles, right? You can either do that or you can keep your feet in inside the booties, but you have to have full control over that tail. It shouldn't be able to get out behind you because in, say, if you pop your toggles, your, your toggle has a, a knot in it and you can't control your canopy and you've got to chop. If you chop and that tail comes over the back of your rig and you punch your reserve into that it's not coming out it's going to get you shoot your reserve straight in straight into the tail of your wingsuit and there's actually been a fatality from it so they shot the reserve into it and then that was it see you later all the way in you know just couldn't get the canopy out i wasn't even thinking about that case i was thinking more along the lines of like creating (laughs) this weather main sort of like uh you know you know how like uh, those things that like point to the wind, right? Yeah. A weather main. Yeah. Like as soon as you unzip your wingsuit and it's flying behind you, you're basically like, um, yeah, yeah, it's making it much more difficult to uh, to manage any, you know, that uh, a line twist situation. That that too, and this is this is why it's such a big deal because there is so much that can go wrong. Like you're thinking about one thing, but not about the other, you know. And this is this is the thing. Like a lot of people can still use their wings if the winds. Are are strong enough to get out of their line twist. They just put one wing out and that'll get them out of the line twist. Um, how I get out of line twist, I reach above into my risers and I twist the line twist into my risers and then I can reach above and steer my canopy and then use, you know, untwist out of that. You know, I don't right. do too much. I don't kick anymore because I can easily control that. And the easiest way to stop that and body twists from the start really and it took me a while to learn this is when you deploy get control of your risers as soon as possible because then you can stop those body twists because you're already holding on to your risers you might do a 360 they might cross over a little bit but you're not going to go through three or four body twists before that happens you know you might get one line twist instead of body twisting yeah, that's a big thing for me. I'm always, uh, even if I've got tight sleeves, I'm always reaching up just to catch something that's right up, right in my neck level, at least, so that I can move with the parachute as I'm adjusting. You know, like uh, the, the parachute will always open up into the wind, and you know, even like a, a quarter twist like that or something can be enough to start you spinning if you're a little bit off weight. And so, yeah, yeah like I'm always just grabbing those and and making sure I'm turning with the parachute rather than you know turning into line twist. But back to the the fighting for line twist, because uh, not only in skydiving, this in base jumping, this is even more imperative that that that's something that gets managed quickly. Yeah, is there? I mean, is there any? I mean, I, I hear some and and see some sort of snide remarks online that yeah, kicking still works, but like. <clears throat> Is there any other, other, I, I'm just, what I'm trying to say is like, that's really the only re- way people should train to fight line twists is, is yeah. the way that you've just mentioned. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we, we've actually got dummy rigs, um, sort of most drop zones do where they've got them in a harness and they're just hanging up and you can put people in the line twists. And if you put someone in a wingsuit and you get them to practice twisting those risers and getting those line twists down out of the out of the lines into the risers, people just realize, hey man, this is way less effort than screwing around with zippers, screwing around with tails, and possibly causing even more trouble. But 
I, I don't know. I've, I've done over, you know, my wingsuit skydives. I've done so many of them now that I've perfected how to deploy that nothing really phases me anymore. Like I just know when to grab the risers and then when I'm, when I'm grabbing the riser, I'm still flying my body while my hands are grabbing. So I'm flying my body. Right. As soon as I'm deploying, I'm still flying my body until I'm flying a canopy. Like I'm flying everything. I never just relax at all through the deployment. I'm always flying. And I think that is so important. That's one of the things that I learned, like luckily early on that, yeah, you get your trim speed, you get back to, you know, relative flat flight, deploy your pilot shoot into clean air. And as soon as that comes back over, as soon as the riders, risers start coming up, get riser control, fly, <laughs> fly your wingsuit and your body still, even if your hands are up at your risers, just keep flying until you're flying a canopy and then fly that right. because sometimes you get twists and you do go for a bit of a bit of a 180 and a bit of a ride, but you're still flying with the risers and you've got riser control at the same time. Like, Yeah, you've got that then, balance. Yeah. Wingsuit skydiving deployments are a little bit different than base jumping just because there's a little bit more uh, drag and friction uh, with the bag, which also adds a little bit more friction to the deployment sequence. So the timing's a little bit different. Mm. Yeah. But I think that the... The basics um, still apply. And uh, can you go over a little bit like your thought process and, and what you're looking for in a good deployment? Yeah. Um, so basically what I'm looking for in a good deployment is um, depending if I'm in a group or not, um, that's going to change exactly how I start my deployment process. If I'm in a group of big people, like a massive group, like anywhere between five or more, it's more of a shallow approach just so that we're all staying on the same level. If it's a two-way, then I might just go for a bit of a fun dive and flare um, because no one else is going to be in my airspace. Um, so let's just say we're going for a group of four. Um, I'll, I'll separate uh, from everyone else. Um, I'll pick a point, basically generally 45 degrees. Um, I don't tend to like going 90 because we're sort of covering a lot of distance anyway generally so okay so i'll just be flying along pretty pretty quickly and then one of my alarms will go off that'll be for hey dude maybe you should think about um, starting your deployment sequence right now so that'll generally be about um about four grand and then so i'll just i'll slowly start flaring up so i'm not going for the biggest flare on the planet what i'm trying to achieve is a trim speed of my wingsuit and so it's a very smooth slow flare i i may gain altitude i may not that's not what i'm after i'm just after this a wind speed effect and as soon as i hear that wind speed in my ear that says hey man you're about the right trim speed to deploy i will actually flatten out and get out of my flare and f and just fly straight so i get more um I get basically it's just going to give me clear clean air over my back again and it's going to give me clean air for the pilot chute to actually grab onto when I deploy that. So once I hear that trim speed, I flatten out. I'll go I'm a one hand reacher. Um I used to do two hands but I don't know now I just tend to do one hand, but I recommend everyone starting off and keep on doing the two hand two symmetrical arm reach back. It's probably a bit safer. So I'll reach back. 
I'll throw my um, I'll throw my pud as hard as possible out to my side, um, and then as soon as as soon as I feel that snatch force of the pilot chute catching air, I'll start to bring my hands up, and then by the time my hands are coming up, the risers are already in my hands, and so I'll just grab onto those risers as hard as possible, try to separate them a little bit. Um, I'm not putting too much emphasis in that. I'm just holding on and then just seeing which way the risers want to twist my body and I just go with it. I don't really fight it. If it wants if it wants to turn me 90 degrees or or whatever, I'm just going with that. I'm just flying with it. So again, the whole time, I'm flying the deployment, deploying the BOC, flying while my hands are coming up. As soon as I've got rise in my hand, I'm still flying my body. And then my canopy is doing whatever it's doing. I kind of give it a cheeky look up. Yep, sweet. Everything looks good. And then my canopy comes out. And if I end up in a line twist, I'll deal with it. But generally speaking, I haven't had line twist in a in a long, long time. Um, so my canopy will come down. I'll look up and I'll go, yeah, sweet. Canopy looks good. And then I'll my first thing I do is just check around to see where everybody is because everyone's trying to kill you. Um, I've had some pretty sketchy moments where I've looked around and I've seen someone spiraling and about to chop above me. So that was pretty freaking scary. So I'll even look at when I'm checking my canopy, I'll just look to see where everyone is just in case, cause you just don't know sometimes. Um, and then, yeah, so that, that's pretty much how I go through my deployment. I mean, if you want to know what I do afterwards with the zipping and everything, you can, I can continue, but that's sort of how I process. You know, I, my knees play a big role in my deployment uh, as far as like uh, breaking and like slowing my speed, not breaking obviously, but like slowing down yeah. my wingsuit speed. But uh, yeah, before we talk about that, can you, you said trim speed quite a few times there. Can you yeah. explain what that means? <laughs> well, for, I don't know. I, that's just the language that I've used is basically I'm just, trimming down the speed from a higher from a higher speed just trimming it down to a speed that i know that my wingsuit like has the the best chance of deploying not too hard not too soft but like that really in between so it's basically you just trimming the wingsuit to that speed you're not trying to you're not really trying to like a lot of people flare their wingsuit up whereas i like to tell mm. people go for a trim speed because if you tell people hey flare your wingsuit and then deploy, they're just going to go for the most monstrous flare they possibly can. And I mean, if that's what you do and you have a lot of success with that, go for it. I think trim speed means like, kind of like if you're flying an airplane, you just like let go of the controls. Like what's yeah. the, what's the, what's it going to do? You just sort of like let it coast in a way. Yeah, pretty much. And that's sort of what you're doing. You're like trimming back and then you're letting it coast again. And then, then you're mm -hmm. deploying into that, you know? So it's, yeah, it's it's a better way that I that I explain things because yeah, I've told people to flare before and they always just go for these massive, ridiculous flares and pitch at the top and it's like, man, like you're pitching into dead air. That's the worst thing you can do. Basically stalling yeah. and uh throwing throwing all that fabric into just disgusting yeah. air. <laughs> it's no good. Yeah, it's it's totally unpredictable. Like you can come out. I've done it a fair few times. I I think I even did it in front of Matt at KPOW. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I remember coming down and I was just like, oh man, I'm going to cop crap from this because 
I don't know. Every time I go there, I get flybys all the time. I think Mike loves it too. So you just got to get, you know, I don't know. I got nervous. God, I had some of the most embarrassing wingsuit experiences at Capalson. <laughs> you know, like everyone's just so good and you're like trying to be cool like everyone else and, and it just like it just never works. Yeah. Like we were doing this big like off airport landing formation flight and I crashed like right into the lead and it was just like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you. That's a lot of pressure when you go there because I don't know. Like everyone just expects you to be good and then you're still nervous like everyone else like it's just like a nervous fun feeling like yeah. it's like oh man this is gonna be so sick i hope i'm not the kook <laughs> and then, oh fuck i'm the kook oh shit i'm the kook <laughs> that's the worst feeling ever <laughs> especially when you're like i don't know uh. yeah especially in front of the big big boys like matt and mike and that it just I don't know. I just cooked it in front of those guys a couple of times and it's demoralizing. It's like, man, I'm better than this. What are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I've done the same. Um, let's, uh, I, you know, the, one little detail about you asked about after the deployment. And I'm curious because like, I see like you and, and Espen and Amber and, and some other racers like, um, zipping from the neck down to yeah. your feet as opposed to like zipping from your booties to your, your yep. waist. Why do you guys do that? Uh, well, I started cause it looked gangster. And then I realized when you're swooping, it's got the less drag out of everything. So if you enjoy swooping in brackets, like it kind of isn't swooping, you still got, you know, wingsuit canopies. But if you enjoy swooping, basically it just takes everything off and you can hardly tell, um, if someone's looking at you head on that you've got a wingsuit on, it's all out the back and it's less drag. Um, and you just feel free. Everything, everything's free. Um, it's almost like not wearing a wingsuit when you're under canopy and it just makes everything. Yeah. I don't know. You just feel like something's grabbing you and holding onto you this whole time. And then under canopy, you can just let it go and get it off. you. Um, yeah, I mean, one other positive too is that uh, you're a couple of steps closer to getting that thing off. If you yeah, that's water. true. I mean, you're probably not thinking about that so much in skydiving, no. but in base jumping, you know. But mm. um, yeah, I've I, I tried that a couple of times just for that reason, just because it looks gangster. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm going to incorporate that a little bit more to to, to juice up my uh, my swoops a little bit more with my high performance seven yeah. stealth canopy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one of the main reasons like uh, I wanted to talk to you is because I'm uh, going to go down to Spain and, and do some training. And I thought that this would be a good opportunity just to like get you on the mic and uh, while you walk me through some things that I can focus on. Uh, when I'm down there to, to help train, uh, and be a, a better flyer in general, um, from a performance side aspect. But, but before we do that, like, um, one of the things that, you know, be, when we were talking before we sat down that really, uh, made you stand out from some of the other competitors was how open you are with your knowledge. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, you were crushing the competition in Australia and you got a little bit bored <laughs> and you did some things to sort of like change that. Like, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So in 2016, um, 
yeah, 2016, I went to America. So I quit my job, went to America, and then got an unlimited jump pack at Spaceland Houston. And so I did about 1,022 jumps that year and 10 hours tunnel, uh, vertical tunnel. And so, yeah, I just basically, I went over there with 300 jumps, 100 wingsuit jumps, and I ditched the wingsuit because everyone's like, you need to learn how to fly your body, blah, blah, blah. So I went to I Fly Utah, did 10 hours with, uh, with the guys there. That was super gangster. Um, really unreal. Like I was flying head down in a few days. It was, it was out of control. Like Dusty and the guys, they know what you're doing. Like it, it was awesome. So I did that and then I did 600 free fly jumps. And then for the rest of the package, I was, um, I was just, hey, I'm going to put on the wingsuit and see if this makes a difference. And holy crap, yeah, it it converts um so i could actually feel i'm, I'm nodding profusely yeah, there it, yeah. it converts over i was i was feeling things in the wingsuit that i had no idea were things like um the body the bodily awareness of where your hands and arms and when they're locked into configuration you can tell if they're not equal or not you can tell straight away before i was just like oh that kind of feels like it and now it's just it became no that's not it that's what you think you're doing but you're not actually doing that you need to have feel a little bit anhedral to be flat which is counterintuitive really um because when you when your hands yeah yeah sorry i was just going to add that uh that's been my personal experience too like uh you know spending time in the vertical tunnel mm. was one of the biggest uh steps that i took to improve my wingsuiting and people are always kind of like scratching their heads well, what do you yeah. mean and even if you can't do cool tricks and do all the rad carving and everything like that, you like develop this relationship with the air where you become more sensitive to it and you can feel the way that you're, you know, moving yeah. through it, uh, which allows you to do things like what you just said is like find balance, find symmetry yeah. and realize like things that you thought you were doing before aren't actually yeah. true. And, uh, it's a, it's a massive game changer it, for it sure. Is. And I can't even imagine what the, uh, wingsuit tunnels like, uh, haven't been to that yet, but yeah, going back to the story, it just, um, yeah, that just developed my feel for the air. Like you could just feel everything going on in the wingsuit. You could flip, you could feel if I was getting enough air over the back onto my butt, like you can feel the air moving over your rig onto your butt. And if it wasn't over your butt and there was just dead air back there, man, you, you're not being efficient at all. And then I've, I felt that I wasn't de-arching enough as well during my flight. So I was having creases in the back of my leg wing, which I thought my legs were straight, but they obviously weren't. And there's, this is a big secret. If you, want, if you want a big secret to go fast, you lock your knees out first. So you tense your quads, lock your knees out first, and then think about um, pushing your toes down. Never the other way around, ever. <laughs> so that that one secret alone will enhance your speeds um just everything all over it's going to reduce a lot of drag but yeah lock your quads first and then point your toes um and when i say lock your quads out just basically yeah the knee is straight as possible tense your quad and then that feeling there that's how you should feel for the rest of the flight just locked in baby and then you can tension uh, the suit from your shoulders to your feet via, you know, pressing down with your feet. 
But if you're like me, you order your suit slightly too short so you don't have to press down too hard. That is a secret too. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just giving everything away. But yeah, I order my shoots, suits maybe a few centimeters too short for me. And I'm a short dude. I'm only 172 centimeters. So you'll see photos of me on the podium next to these guys. If I'm in first, they're still taller than me on the second. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask because, like, uh, I think in 2017, you won uh, FAI Worlds in the Greatest Horizontal Distance Award. Yeah. And I was like, man, like, horizontal distance? And, like, he's, like, he's short, <laughs> built like a bowling ball. Like, how the fuck? Technique, baby. You know, like... And if, if anything, I think it speaks to your, your skill because, uh, you know, there's some people that I fly with and, and they're tall and skinny. And as far as horizontal distance goes, like they'll just destroy me every single time. I did it again this year at worlds too. Oh, sorry. Last year I got, I got distance overall. So yeah, they were just flying too slow for the atmospheric pressure losers. (laughs) 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 No, it's, uh, (laughs) The funny thing is, uh, in competition, once you do that first round, all your secrets are uh, given up because they'll just look at your track and go, oh, yeah, he was flying um, faster than us, so we'll just increase our forward speed too because of the atmosphere, and then, boom, they were with me. So, I, yeah. that's. I think we're delving into like some overly technical um, <laughs> information on that. Um, I mean, that lies specifically with competition yeah. flying. Um Let's talk a little bit more about like your the thoughts that you have about your body position because yeah. Barnes talked you know talked a lot about like the quads and locking out the knee and yep. stuff like that and that makes a big difference for me. Um, I mean, I knew that, but I think after we talked, I like started like really emphasizing that on my jumps, like even to the fact that like before I jump, uh, you know, because I'm I'm usually doing big mm. hikes. I'll like um, flex my quads a bit to make sure that I'm not going to, you know, get any cramps yeah. and also make sure that, you know, like I'm properly hydrated and yeah, whatnot. That's kind of important. Um, but then, um, you know, we don't have the luxury in base um, to wear small suits because, you know, it limits your push. Yeah. Um, Cause like, you know, when you're standing on the edge and you want to, you know, a big monster push and like the more powerful your push is, the better your start that's can right. be. Or at least it's a it's a big ingredient in having a, a powerful start. Yeah. Um, but can you so can you elaborate a little bit more? We talked about the legs. Yep. Um, what are some other things that you're thinking about as far as like flying fast with your body? Um, so with my arms. So we'll just go. I mean, I think you can find this stuff on Top Gun Base. Um, but. Um, yeah, but I want to hear from yeah, you. Yeah, so basically what you want is your arms. You want them strong. You want them um, you want them strong and flat. So you want you want to press up with your forearms. So not with your hands really. You you want your yeah, forward. You, want, you forward and up. So you want your arms strong and flat, so level with your body. Um your midsection, your stomach. You want that slightly de-arched to take any of those um, creases out of your tail wing out. And it also promotes your body to actually be flatter because a lot of people still have that banana bend. They're still, they're still arching naturally. So to enforce like a, at least feeling like you're de-arched, like 
um, is pretty important because that means you're either um, de-arched or you're flat, which is where you want to be. Uh, again, with your knees locked. Um, toes, again, toes and, and shoulder tension. So at the end of it, you want your toes pointed. Um, a lot of people point their, to- their toes out naturally, but I've been finding if I um, don't push out diagonally, if I start to actually bring my heels towards the outer of the suit, it's, it's actually making uh, the suit fly a tiny bit better, probably not noticeable by a lot of people, um, but that's kind of just your high end, maybe 0.01% kind of stuff. But you want that tension from your shoulders to your toes. Um, and the hardest thing is, is you don't want to be pressing so hard that you're going to tear the suit. Don't think about tearing the suit open. Just thinking about making sure that everything's in the right configuration and you're holding it. You don't want to be wasting energy pushing up as hard as you can. You just need the suit to be taut in all those, you know, in the right configuration, taut and not overdoing it um, because that's going to cause a little bit of instability and it's going to wear you out a lot quicker than it has to. Um, you still, you just need to be holding it in, in, in its configuration. Um, a lot of people just get too wrapped up into stretching it out as hard as possible on a speed run. Possibly that can help a little bit, but if you're base jumping and doing distance runs and stuff like that, you don't really need to be stressing out too hard about that. You just need it. You just need it locked out and firm because if, um, you know, if, if you get wind shear or anything like that, being loose in, loose in your body but taut, is, you're going to be able to absorb a lot more harsher, um, you know, changes in air. And that's sort of another thing that I picked up from Freefly is um, learning basically you can sort of feel what's happening. As the air gets thicker, you can actually feel it getting more dense um, and you can actually feel the wind shear and where the wind direction is coming from because... Um, you, you'll feel the tail kicking out one way and you'll know you'll automatically know just to counter counter react that um, but yeah that's sort of the, the configuration that I'm thinking about for speed and for distance those configurations don't really change for me I might give a hot, a slightly bigger d arch in in a distance flight but realistically I'm trying to have as little drag as possible in a speed run and as little drag as possible in a distance run. So just think, I remember Burns used to say, you got to hide behind that leading edge. And that's exactly what it is. You're just hiding behind that because that's cutting through like a knife. Just think about a knife. You want to be nice, level and flat. And you just want to be cutting through the air and presenting the most surface areas possible that you can convert to lift. Do you, uh, do you refine this position by looking at your video? Like I'm assuming that you have some backwards facing camera, like, or a 360 camera now where you can look back and say like, Oh, look, I'm sort of like, I see some creases in my suit here. <laughs> I'm going to look and try to do another jump and, and, and iron that out a little bit or what it was, uh, what's the process. I mean, besides like all of the free fly experience and, and extensive, uh, skydiving, what are some other tips that you've used to to refine that position uh, so yes i mean i do rely heavily on the free fly side but if you're not doing that obviously the 360 cameras are good but they can distort things a lot too so you got to be very careful of that um 
but if you're facing it up and you can see creases in your tail, that just means you need to de-arch more and get rid of that. Or, you know, that's if they're, you know, coming lengthwise and you just got to look at, uh, it'd be good to look at where your feet are, how they're positioned, where your arm wings are at. Um, but the best thing to do is get someone to fly outside camera for you and just go, all right, um, if you've got communications, just go, all right, three, two, one, nail it, give it everything and just try to stick with them as long and as far as possible and then film from the back what's happening with their suit. And if you can, film from the side and get their side profile to see if they're de-arched or they're still bananaing and still arched. Um, that's what I, me and Chris Burns used to do that for each other all the time. So we used to just go, hey, dude, do you mind filming one for me? And there's not a lot of people that could film us, you know, because we were, we we're cooking. Um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> we figured a lot of stuff out um, just from doing that with each other. And it's just, oh, man, I thought I was de-arched. I bet. Yeah, that oh, man, I thought I was de-arched. Oh, I'm not. And I've got creases in the back of my leg. I just, what the? And really, you're just flying flat. You need to be slightly more de-arched. Um, That's so common. I mean, even from like intermediates to advanced, that's just super common, right? Like from my coaching experience, like I would fly and we'd go over video and every single time, you know, you would tell somebody to do something and then they're like, Oh, look, I did it. You know, that's just another example. It's not that, you know, people are dumb or anything. It's just, it shows that like what you think is going on and what's (laughs) actually going on isn't always in line. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, and it it goes with any sort of skydiving really. Um, it's always the case, especially with free flying, free flying and wingsuiting. Um, yeah, because you're, your body position and your and your configurations are so important because you're just trying to manipulate the wind at the end of the day. And if you're not efficient, it's going to be harder. You want to make it as simple as possible. And that's sort of what I, what I try. If I'm locked out, all I have to do is adjust my angle of attack and that's it. I just manage my angle of attack. If I got my body position, if I know the position I need to be in, I lock that out and I just adjust my angle of attack and all I'm thinking about is, Arms, yep. Legs, yep. Toes, yep. Sweet. The arch, yep. Sweet. How are my arms going? It's getting towards the end of the run. Um, how are they doing? Yep, they're still locked in. Sweet. Oh, they're starting to creep up. I'll push them even forward. That's when you use that energy. Whereas before, if you were putting too much stress, too much energy into pushing that, trying to burst your wing open, trying to hold that configuration, you won't have energy to manage that later on. Where you could be conserving that energy to keep the run going as good as it was at the start you know so it's a lot about conserving so what i'm what i'm hearing is you're like you're cycling through all of the the factors that you're considering right Always. You're, you're cycling through your arms hips legs toes shoulders and just keep it and then just repeat it's on repeat right Always. You're just continuing over and over and over again that's exactly right and so you said when you know you've got the angle right yeah how do you know that you have the angle right so so this this is uh Basically, I'm trying to find uh, my forward speed that I know that I can get max glide out of, and out of in a no wind situation, that's about that's about 175 kilometers an hour. Um, and so, if I lock into that and just adjust my angle of attack and just play with um, staying at that speed and then converting some of that into some sneaky lift like just going dit, 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 a little bit into sneaky lift then going back to it then going dit, 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 like basically putting on a higher angle attack 
showing more of my wingsuit to the relative air, giving me more lift and then sneaking back there. So it's more like I'm just going up and down, up and down, up and down. I'm not kind of trying to lock into it the whole time. Um, to me, that works for me. You're like a little dolphin. Yeah, in little the dolphin wind. doing dolphin kicks, baby. L- um, a lot of people just lock into yeah. that. You'll look at my speeds. They look locked. But if you look at my glide ratio, everyone's saying, your glide ratios are always so messy. It's like, yeah, but I'm still flying further. Like, <laughs> maybe it's not ideal, but it's it's working for me. And I keep keep beating people in distance doing it this way um, because I just feel like I can just play with that, like, oh, no, that's too much glide. And if you can just finally just pick a little bit of glide and chip it away here and there, here and there, here and there, and then by the end of the run, you've used a fair chunk of it, and then you can just have the rest for your flare and your deployment at the end or you know, it's, it's all about conserving energy. All we've got is gravity to work with, right? All we can do is control our configuration and angle of attack. That's it. We've got no propulsion. Um, for base jumpers, it's a little harder because you've got less, uh, less room to use. Skydiving, we've got generally 14,000 feet to screw around with. So you guys are limited with how much energy you can produce. So you've got to be more, more efficient than a skydiver generally speaking. But you guys don't reach the speeds that we do because of this because you don't have unlimited sky. You've just got, hey, man, there's a bit of ground there, a couple of trees. I, I can't go down there. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. I mean, like before, I always just thought like the best start was the fastest start. Mm. And now, I mean, it's been years now, but like the best start will give me the best, the most speed that I can use to do whatever it is I yeah. do. Right. Like, so sometimes using the, all of the air possible to generate the most amount of speed so that when I can slingshot out of the bottom, uh, with the most amount of speed that will carry me through the rest of yeah. the flight is the best start. Right. So I will have expended the most meters possible that the terrain will allow. Yeah, well, you're, just, you're just getting your energy bar. That's all it is. You're starting with your energy bar and then, all right, this is my energy bar. This is what i got to use for the rest of the jump. And how you manage your speed and angle right. attack is going to be increasing that energy bar or depleting it. That's it. It's that simple. Yeah, and like turns, yeah. those, are, <laughs> those are a big energy bar suck, <laughs> well, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're basically... You're air braking, bro. You're turning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, don't realize how how much drift and how much energy you burn out in those turns. You know, I I nerd out on flyside data. I know how much I burn. <laughs> hey, before we get too uh, sidetracked on the flyside stuff, I, I cut your story off. Um, tell me about when you were traveling to the U.S. for competing. Yeah. So. Yeah, after I did those all those jumps in America, I competed and I did pretty well in my first comp. Um, so yeah, I went to the UK, competed there, got sixth in my first comp, and then America was doing these wide open wingsuit series. Um, Joe Riddler contacted me and said, "Hey, dude, uh, saw you at the UK. Why don't you come do a few of these?" And uh, yeah, I just went to a few of those. Um, I podiumed. Uh, the ones I went to, which is awesome. And I remember the first distance comp that I did, um, I jumped out of the plane and anyway, mid-race, I thought, I thought, oh yeah, sick. 
I've won this. It's all good. I finished it. And then I started doing up and overs around the guys that were actually I was competing against and flying with. I was doing up and overs and they were just like giving me, <laughs> sort of giving me these weird looks like, what the, f- what, what are you doing, bro? And so I was like, oh, whatever. So I just flew over to the next yeah. dude. And then I was just like, next to him going, yeah, let's do a two way. And he's like looking at me really weird. And I was like, what is going on? So I went up and over him and went underneath and I'm like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he was just flying. And then I heard my alarm like, like the race was over. And I was like, whoa, I just lost this race because I already thought it was over. (laughs) And I was just like playing with these dudes. And it was like, oh, man, are you serious? What the hell? And I was just flipping out. And I was just like, oh, man, I'm such an idiot. Like, what the? And then like Matt Gerties was there and um, Keith Forsyth. Forsyth, I'm not sure if you know that chap. He's absolute legend. He was... Yeah, oh, yeah, he was the rabbit for that race. And he was like, Luke, what were you doing? Like, <laughs> he saw he saw the whole thing and he was like, what the hell were you doing? Why did you dive down to all the rest of them? And I thought, I thought the race was over. So I set the wrong alarms in my fly site and then, yeah, I just kooked it. Mm. And then anyway, Matt invited me over to Kapowson where they had another one and I ended up winning the distance. Thank God. Oh, it's like redemption, baby. Um, and then, yeah, so I did well there and then I went, to compete for Australia the next the following year. So I've finished the package. I've done pretty well in some competitions and then got back to Australia and Chris Burns was, you know, he was leading everything that was happening over in Australia. Um, he actually got the APF to start recognizing wingsuit as a sport over there. Um, so Chris, Chris was just like, hey, let's try this out. And then Chris and I basically just built it up from, from nothing pretty much from that year and it was awesome um but yeah i I competed at that competition and just smoked the competition that first year um just came out of nowhere and just and just won it outright i think uh yeah i ended up flying a kilometer more than everyone else and that was and i landed off i was the only one that landed off and i was like what the hell where is everybody how come i'm the only idiot that landed off did i get shitty wind i didn't understand it and and yeah, it just turned out I went a little bit further than everyone else. And so that was cool. I was like, oh man, this is awesome. And then the next year, um, again, I took it. So it was 2017, 2018. I think Chris Gaylor came over for that one. And he won it outright. Um, and I came second, but in Australia, I came first. But let's be honest, Chris won it. <laughs> He's numero uno. But yeah, I gave him a fair bit of a challenge on that one. But um yeah his competition he's like a robot man and i was just like starting out so it was pretty stiff competition but i still beat the australians and um so that was in 2018 and then 2019 i was like man what's going on here i'm I'm still beating these aussies by a fair margin and then chris burns was because performance flying was all he was doing and he was starting to get a bit bummed that he wasn't winning anymore and he's, he's, I don't know, like a lot of people don't know that he suffered like from depression a lot. I was one of his closest friends. So, um, yeah, we started out together pretty much and I was with him the whole way and he used to confide in me and I'd get random calls at weird hours of the night. So he was in a pretty bad place and I was like, hey, dude, how about like I start coaching you? I'll show you what I've learned and um, you can pass it on to whoever you want as well. And then 
that next year he so he got sponsored by squirrel um I, I let the guys i was like hey dudes like this guy's pretty good but he was actually swapping manufacturers a lot which is kind of scary for a new ma- manufacturer to take someone on like that because you just don't know um so he'd already competed with um, Tony Phoenix and he was onboarding with Squirrel at the time. I was like, nah, man, if you come over to these guys, um, just trust the process. Like just trust the suits. They're all good. Uh, I'm flying them and winning for years already. Like just trust it. And um, so, yeah, I just instilled my knowledge on how to how to fly and use the fly site to basically it's it's almost cheating. It's basically just telling you the exact speed you need to fly and you're adjusting it to the winds and off you go. And so I taught him all that fly sight stuff and that's I couldn't catch him after that. He was gone. Like he had the right body type. I didn't and he knew my information. So it's just like, oh, well, so be it. Um, and that was awesome because uh, he just kept pushing me after that. I was getting better and better and better and so was he. So it, it was awesome. Um and so after that, I was like, you know what? Let's see what we can do with Australia. Let's let's start like feeding it back into the community. And another guy that I've poured a lot of time into is uh, Atomic, and he'll be someone to watch out. He'll be beating me probably next year, I think, maybe the year after. Um, he's got a bit of a better body type, um, but he's just as ruthless and dedicated as I am. So, yeah, he's going to be <laughs> my main challenge. It, it, but it's good. You know, like he, he might pick things up that I don't know about and he'll share that onto me and then I'll get better too. And that's sort of what we're trying to do. When, when the Australian team goes over to these international world competitions, we're all, uh, so we're all training together usually a week before and it's no, no holding back. The guys go, hey, what can I do here? And I'm telling them, hey, you need to fly like this, this, this. This is what you need to adjust in your fly site. This is how f- you're just flying a bit slow. You just need to fly maybe 10, 10Ks faster, 5Ks faster, whatever. Try this. And then and then if someone's having trouble with time or something like that, it could be a configuration error. They could be flying, um, you know, wrong configuration. So I'll go, hey, I'll do, a, I'll do a two-way with you, see what the hell's going on. And then I'll go, hey, this is what you need to do with your body. Fix this. Let's go. And so we just openly share all of our information with each other, even though we're competition, it's just have a look at the last worlds where all the Australians end up. That's, that's the result. I think, man, we smothered the top 10 at least, you know, and some of these guys like Tomic, it was his first world comp. And I think he got eighth and he was devastated because he was nowhere near um, punching the results that he had been in the week previously. He just had a, unfortunately, um, he had some fly side issues um, in the comp and uh, caused him to score badly at no fault of his own just because we run a competition fly side for the judges and one in our helmet. And sometimes when you hit the entry gates in your, in your fly site, that may not be the same reading as the other fly site. So it could be 10 metres higher, 20 metres higher, or there's some variation there. And his was just all over the place. So he couldn't predict it. So he ended up just having to dive further down the window. But he's he he'll be on the podium um, for sure, Tomic. So just watch out for him. <laughs> the margins on these races are tiny. Yeah, and, and 
look at our look at our Australian nationals, top three guys. Like it, man, it, it was tough for an Australian nationals. It's almost like a world class event these days with the top three um, going off. Just what was going on? Like we were doing hundred second time runs with standard suits, um, stock standard factory suits, and that's unheard of back. You know, two years ago, doing a hundred second time run was just oh my god, this is this is revolutionary. You know, this is unbelievable. And now it's like you got to get ninety eights to a hundreds to stay in the competition these days. And your speeds, they're always increasing, and your distances. Like we're getting about on average a four four point oh glide ratio is pretty standard these days wind corrected so basically you just take the wind out of the equation say you do a five con five uh, kilometer run but if you correct and take the winds out it's a 4.0 run and it used to be around 3.8 to 3.9 k's was awesome but now it's like four k's if you're not sitting at four k's that's it you're pretty much creeping out of the podium spots so it's basically if you don't calculate the wins properly and if you fatigue out or if you make one minor error in your dive and setup or a navigation error, you're out. That's it. You're not on a podium anymore. And it's becoming a game of consistency. And I guess it always has been. And you can only be consistent through repetition, right? That's exactly right. And that's why that's why my visualizations are so important. And I also run self-hypnosis every night. Um, so there's self-hypnosis. Mm, it's interesting you say that. We just had a, um, an interview with a hypnotherapist. Yeah. Yeah, so I run hypnotherapy. Um, basically, I turn it on and I've got a few tracks that I run and they run all night for the in, all night uh, on repeat. So I've got three or four tracks that just run for the entire night. That's it, every night. So it's just ingrained into my body. Uh, I've done that for since bodybuilding days. And that's where these visualization and everything's just so important because you can get so much done visualizing before you actually get there that you might as it feels like you've actually been there and you've actually been training. It, it and this is why Tell me a little bit more about this self. Sorry, tell me a little bit. This is the problem with remote uh, recording is like we talk over each other, but so apologies, man. Um, tell me a little bit more about um, what what is what is it saying in these tracks that are playing over and over again? Man, this is like... This is this some pretty, personal shit right here. Pretty personal stuff right here. I'm all about sharing information. So okay, basically, it's telling me um, that in the competition, I'm always going to remain calm. I know, like, I know my capabilities. I'm going to always get it. I'm just visualizing the perfect runs all the time, and it's just taking me through that. Um, and it's basically just setting the proper mindset. It's saying, hey, man, when competition gets tough, um, things aren't looking good, that's okay. Like, you just don't worry about that. Just move on to the next one. Let's go again. Reset. Good to go. Um, lots of other things too, like, Man, I do listen to some weird spiritual nerdy ones too, but they're more so just to keep me, um, you know, just focused on the now as well so that I'm not thinking about, oh, 
when I'm in this run, what if this happens? It's just like, no, you're just dealing in that exact present moment. Um, but you're hyper sensitive and hyper focused that, you know, the visualizations that you've been having in the plane on the way up, you're just replaying that. And it feels like you're replaying it. It doesn't feel like you're actually doing it again. It just feels like you're on replay. Uh, it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. But this is how I, this is how I operate. No, I get it. Yeah. I haven't, uh, competed since my, uh, well, that's not true exactly, but I was thinking back to the time I was most competitive was when in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and it was like, uh, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with comp competition and like, even before you're on the mat, like yeah. just having that sense of calm and, uh, thinking and about all the preparation that you've done and, uh, everything that's riding on there can be a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. And then when you put a, a sense of personal danger on the line as well, like it can, you know, push you over the edge a little bit and, and affect your, your performance. And uh, so that's interesting to hear that, that that's one of the strategies that you've implemented. Yeah. Just peace of mind. You, you gotta have, you gotta be cool as a cucumber at all times. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a wingsuit competition, there's always spanners in the works. There's always drama going on. And I mean, it's fun to create some and just let, let that build and everyone gets psyched out. That's kind of hilarious. Uh, start rumors and just let it go. Like, <laughs> like there's kind of some shady shit you can do if you wanted to. Um, but mostly it's trying to help my teammates stay as calm as I am sometimes because stuff can go wrong. Um, but yeah, I'm just working on basically being as calm and collective and in the moment in present time as possible. Um, and the only time I'm not, it's when I'm in the plane, but I'm all, I'm visualizing what's going to happen anyway. It's, it's focused on positive, you know, everything's, everything's about positivity everything's about just being neutral, not letting the out, outside world affect you and just concentration. That's all the hypno's for. That's great stuff. Uh, so let's get to, um, coaching me a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm, you know, like I'm going down to Spain and uh, I'm going to bring my fly sight and bring some headphones. Yep. Tell me a little bit about like what I should do to prepare for this season of base jumping uh, to be, uh, you know, improve my glide and improve my speed. Yeah. Um, so improving in your speed, it's more about um, staying the least drag as possible. So again, it's a configuration thing. We went through that. Um, basically, just staying as knife edge as possible. And when you're building speed, so for me in competition, I'm building speed at 0.8 of a glide glide ratio to about um, 1.0 to 1.1, and then anything after that is just converting into forward speed. So anything before that's just building and adding to your power bar, and the rest is just building forward speed so what i would do is Can you i say that again sorry so point point eight is almost vertical right yeah it's pretty it's pretty steep um so yeah yeah and then so so from point eight to what exactly yeah again? i just try to stay point eight to 1.0 so you get a one-to-one -one okay. glide ratio that's sort of where you're not converting really too much into forward drive just yet but i think it's important to go faster than you would in base jumping so you're more comfortable 
in faster speeds so that when you do get fast or fast in the base environment, it's nothing compared to what you've been before. So you're more comfortable. So I would go at those steeper angles, 0.8, and then just slowly bring it out in a competition run to 1.0 to, so 0.8, enter the window and then go out to about, you know, 1.5 glide ratio. And that's sort of, you know, where you want to stop because it's not, you're converting too much into forward drive and, and um, you're going to be more glidey than quick per se. So I do those kind of drills. Um, and also when you're going steep, just add turns and stuff, um, doing fast turns and a little bit uncontrolled, anything that you could think about mimicking in the base environment. Um, so this is where I get the disconnect. Um, I'm mainly focused on performance flying rather than base jumping. So you know what happens in the base environment. Um, I would just suggest being comfortable at higher speeds and finding out where you're... So in base jumping, what is your typical glide ratio when you're flying terrain or flying your ideal lines? Is there, it, It's got to vary, right? But is there a zone you like yeah, to I stay mean, in? It varies... It varies a lot. Mm. Um, yeah, like um, I think that like staying connected to terrain is like at 2.5 and below yep. um, is, is really like a comfortable angle yep. that, that I like. Yep. And generally because that will allow with the right speed to always have the, the, the capacity to flare and disconnect yeah, true. Uh, to, to deployment. Yeah, you're going to have a heap of energy um, staying that low. Mm. Anything else will just be like sort of temporarily, temporary, yeah. you know, and, and also weather is a factor as well, right? So like yeah. if you, um, you know, are, are flying on terrain that's higher than 2.5 and, you know, you encounter some weather phenomenon that you weren't expecting yeah. that can have a massive effect on your your glide and, and speed performance. So, yeah. um, you know, like anything. When you're going at 2.5 and below, you're, you're just punching through stuff. Yeah. So it's like, uh, um, so there's there's that a little bit. Can we talk a little bit about uh, control in steep dives? Because I yep. think that there's a lot of misconceptions there. You know, like uh, people will say one thing or another. Yeah. And uh, I think that like the fact is, is that a lot of wingsuit base jumpers aren't comfortable balancing on limited control surfaces. Yeah. Do you, can you give us a little bit of your thoughts on this? Yeah. So I see a lot of um, base videos with people having dihedral when they're diving and stuff like that. I think that's more of a, a stability thing. Um, or some people think that that's the fastest way you can dive. Um, but level arm flight when you're diving and when you're flying is faster because you got to think about, um, you got to think think about the drag. There's less drag, so you're going to gather more speed. Like you're showing less of that knife edge. You're showing that knife. You just think about cutting through the cake with the knife. You don't want the knife a bit sideways. You want it straight up and down, right? So just think about. Right. You don't want too much dihedral, um, unless. No, but a, I mean like. When you're tipping it over, right? Yeah. We've established like what the the fast configuration is of a, of a wingsuit, but like as we tip it over, right? Yeah. And we're going uh, like pitch head low. Yeah. Uh, things become more and more difficult to control, right? That's like right. The the balance points become much more 
sensitive. Yeah, that's correct. And that's... And... No, continue. So besides, like, practice, what are some of the things that people should think about or consider when they're flying in a 0.8 angle? So the biggest thing is not to be too stiff. You still want to have a little bit of, you know, if you're stiff and you hit a bump or the wind, something happens weather-wise and it gets bumpy for some reason, you're going to be flinged all over the place because you're so stiff. Um, You just want to sort of be relaxed inside the suit whilst holding the configuration. Um, That way you can absorb bumps and anything coming at you. Um, Yeah, just don't press too hard into your wingsuit because that creates instability. Um, with with weather, with um, around clouds, anything anything like that, you'll notice it around clouds a lot. Um, but yeah, just being stern, but not over over pressing into the wingsuit, I guess, would be one of the biggest helps. And this is why I'm saying try Do you focus. Sorry, what you try what? This is why I was saying try going faster than you would in the base environment. This is going to teach you that. Um, you know, when you get in those higher speeds in the base environment, it's going to be nothing to you. It's like, man, I've, I've gone way faster. This is nothing. So you want to, you want to get your body used to more stress than you're actually going to, than you're actually going to encounter. It's sort of what I was saying that you should be training in the skydive environment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty hard because I haven't base jumped before and this is where I'm going to struggle a little bit. Because if I had base experience, um, I could be able to tell you exactly, hey, this is what I really would focus on, you know? Yeah, that's all right. Um, you know, base is a little bit like mixed martial arts, right? You know, and, yeah. and uh, you would, the ultimate fighter is going to draw uh, strength from all sorts of different disciplines. And, you know, you're a purist and we have a lot to learn from you. So, uh, yeah. So in the... <clears throat> In the training, uh, we're talking about um, using the fly site. So yeah. can you give me some tips a little bit about what I should be looking for in my data? Yeah, definitely. Um, so in your data, what you're looking for, um, for speed, there's a um, you've got lift and drag coefficients. This is going a bit, bit you know, down that rabbit hole. But you can have a look at your lift and drag, and you can see how much drag you've got. Um, and then you can do your speed run. So I can give you a PPC speed run to practice and you can do that maybe 10 times or something. Just get the feel of going, you know, holy crap fast. And then looking at your drag coefficients and seeing if they're getting lower and then trying different, um, trying different configurations and going back and having a look at that drag coefficient again. And you can tell if you're getting less drag or not. And you can see it in your speeds as well. They'll start picking up. Um, and so with the speeds, I would focus, I focus a lot on glide ratio and not on the speed figures because the glide ratio is going to give you those speed figures. Um, and that's kind of a bit of a secret in the PPC world as well. We don't really listen to forward speed when we're doing speed. We're listening to glide ratio and we're trying to, um, we're trying to basically release our energy bar as smooth as possible into 
um, into forward horizontal speed without using too much to put it into glide. So in the base environment, that would convert over to, like you're saying, you want to build up your energy bar at the start and not just go full glide and the best, quickest start. You want to start using some of that energy um, safely together to get your energy bar up up as safely as possible um, and then using that energy, holding onto it or just using it when you need it. Um, and this is where the... This is where your speed's going to come in. This is where your configuration is going to sort of give you those best speeds. And I think that's a big thing is your configuration when you're gaining speeds um, in that initial push. How how you push off can affect it. Um, again, I'm not a base jumper, but I would think about bringing your body down and then springboarding almost into a into a flight that's sort of, that's sort of how i would think about it and then just gathering as much potential energy you're, as possible you're doing a bunch of hand gestures right now everyone's going to be listening to this so what you mean is like going from a, a what do you mean like just in a from uh so it's like an audio perspective an audio perspective i'm thinking about um low like crouching with your knees i would this is speculative don't do it <laughs> I'm not a base jumper, but this is how I would think about approaching it is I would um, bend my knees and then slowly arch over. And so as you're, as you're falling over, your, your body, your, it, like your chest is coming down and down and down. As soon as I'm starting to reach the angle of attack that I would want to start my um, dives and base jump at, I would then spring out with as much force as possible springing out and almost going directly just slightly higher than the angle of attack that I would want so that my body would fall into that angle of attack as soon as possible. So I wouldn't want to launch head high. I wouldn't want to launch tail down. I would want to try to launch just a bit higher than my ang- my desired angle of attack. Um, speculative. Do you guys do... It's pretty accurate. Do you guys do box jumping in your training? I do. Yeah, uh, like yeah, like cl- I do cleans and and box jumps yeah. and uh, other you know snatches and stuff like that yeah. for explosive power. I would um, definitely, definitely do. Helps. I would definitely do single, single leg box jumps. That's going to increase the power in both, so you're not relying on that dominant leg. It'll be quite apparent. Yeah. It'll be quite apparent. Some people one yeah one sorry one one good. It's like when you you're set in a chair and then you stand up and to jump onto a box. Like yeah, that's a that's a really good one because you're sort of like in this static position and you're instead of using the 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 reflex uh, power of you have of like that stretch reflex, you you can like from a sitting position step up into a jump. That that's a really good one. Yeah, I also have I usually. I usually jump with one foot too. Like I have one foot forward, one foot back. Yep. And like, while there's a little bit of power coming out from that back leg, it's mostly a, a, a one foot sort of yeah. jump. 
I swam when I was younger and that was just sort of like got ingrained to me, you know, that that's like the, the, the fastest way to, to jump off the blocks. I was a, yeah, I was a very competitive swinger, swinger, swimmer, oh, yeah. wow, <laughs> very dude, competitive the, swimmer back the in the day. personal stuff just, yeah. uh, just came on out. That's right, ladies. <laughs> Single line, please. No, yeah. it's, uh, no, I was very competitive in school. I used to win, uh, swimming competitions, uh, in board shorts while everyone was in DTs. <laughs> it was hilarious because I didn't want to not look cool. <laughs> and I, I remember going to yeah, I remember going to a nationals uh, in this big sporting complex, and I took out the breaststroke and board shorts, and everyone was wearing speedos, and they were just tripping out. <laughs> yeah. Wow, but there's a lot to lot to learn from swimming. I think from um, for the start. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot. There's a lot of it. That's sort of where I'm learn. bringing the experience of that spring step. That's where I'm bringing it from because that's what I used to think about when I was diving in the pool. It's the same thing. I was thinking about leaning my body over to just about where I wanted to be and just giving it everything I had, so I entered the water at the right angle, so that I could yeah. coast through. You know, like um, I don't know if this comes necessarily from a safety perspective, though. But like going back to what you're saying, as far as like leaning over, I definitely lean over and push. I'm leaning over and pushing with slightly a little bit head higher than when I would just fall into my uh, uh, appropriate angle. But yeah. as I push off, I'm thinking about like rolling over and and finding like pushing my head towards that angle that I want to go, and the body just sort of follows. Yeah. And again, that's sort of like what you were talking about as far as being relaxed. Yeah. Like the start, if you just got to be relaxed, because if you're not, it's just going to end up, there's going to be a potato chipping. Yeah. There's going to be potato chipping. There's going to be oh, yeah. like some, um, a, a big loss of, of performance as you like press too hard into any of the relative when you got there. And like, you know, like in the glide portion or, or even in the, the time, um, element of your competition is like any unnecessary movement just yeah immediately kills your lift that's exactly right you're planking to save your life and just to i think it's important that people realize you are saying that you point your head in the right direction and then your body follows 90 percent of my wingsuit flight and the control of my wingsuit is done in my chest area and my head everything else just like is locked in and just follows those those things so it's like i'm flying mostly with my chest area so it's um like when i'm adjusting my angle of attack i'm just thinking about leaning forward with that and leaning back i'm not like arching or anything like this i'm just pushing that chest down releasing the chest back up and i'm doing that with small head movements a little bit you know leading with that head but i'm flying that chest i'm flying that chest area a lot of people fly with their arms that's a big big no-no like if you're using your arms to turn, like not only is it inefficient, um, but it can cause instability. Whereas if you're turning with your chest and letting everything follow, it's just natural and your suit flies cleaner, it flies better. You're going to maintain a lot more energy, you know. Um, I think that's kind of important too. That's a great tip. Can we talk about uh, flaring? Because that's a big aspect <laughs> of performance and uh, base jumping. Uh, I think you were one of the first guys to flare over 100 meters. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. It can't, It's so funny. Uh, Matt was just like, I'll give someone 100 bucks if they, who can flare the highest or whatever. And then 
and they're not flaring like 90 meters or something. And then they're like, oh, okay, well, if anyone could beat 100, 100 meters, I'll give them 100 bucks. And then I was like, hell yeah, because I was in, I was overseas at the time in America. I was like, man, I could do with some cash. I'll, I'll smash another one out. And so I smoked it. I, I got 100 meters. I was like, oh, man, I could have done way better than that. And then it got to the point where they're like... So you spent something like 200 bucks in jump <laughs> tickets to get that 100 bucks? It's totally worth No, the funny thing is I I did them just randomly. It, I wasn't even practicing or anything. It was just because of my PPC training, my competition training, that whenever he put it up, I did it in one jump. That that was all, all it took. And I just learned from that first oh, wow. flare. And then he put up the challenge, uh, 100 meters. And then after that, they were like, oh pay someone a hundred dollars to beat luke <laughs> it stopped getting to heights <laughs> and then i did 110 meters and then my highest was 124 and it hasn't been beaten yet through a natural flare like it's been beaten out of uh, people just jumping out of sky vans and flaring up um but yeah i still hold the record for just uh the natural dive flare so it's 124 meters okay so walk us walk wow impressive Walk us through um, what you're thinking about uh, as far as maximizing your flare. Yeah. So basically at the start, I'm just trying to generate as much speed as possible. So get my energy bar as high as possible. So what I do is I just dive head down out of the plane, just flies head down straight at the ground as possible until I just couldn't feel like I was going any faster. And then I would just slowly in a consistent um, manner just slowly start peeling that out and I wouldn't I wouldn't even change the angle um, to go a little bit a little bit quicker uh, like peel out quicker I just keep it at that same peeled that same rate of peeling out and it would it would end out that I'd be going horizontal for a little bit before I actually started started going back up so you need to think about when you're doing a flare, not flaring too fast because you'll actually use your wingsuit as an air brake and you'll kill all your energy and you won't go up as far. You need to hit that horizontal speed as fast as possible. And then what you want to do is you want to convert that horizontal speed into the highest vertical speed possible because you don't have a lot of time to do it. You want that highest vertical speed that's going to push you through the air as fast as possible up. So what I did is I was able to get my suit going 100 kilometers an hour up and that's how I did it. It was just it was just basically when you start to flare out, you go flat and then when, when that natural curve is coming up, um, when you start to get a bit vertical, that's when you just snap and just, and just snap back as hard as you can and then push that wingsuit back while being slightly anhedral like grabbing that wind, being slightly anhedral and almost putting your wingsuit on rails, leaning into it, leaning back, but not not cracking that de-arched configuration and just snapping that back up and you just, man, the push you get out of that, it's hard to describe. Like it feels like someone just punches you in the chest and then you're just feeling this, this vertical speed going up and... Um, and it's crazy. It just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. And then you just finally start to stall out and you just feel like you're going straight up, but you're not. You're still going about 30, 40 Ks an hour forward at the same time. So it's dis- disorientating a bit. It's distorting yeah. how you So feel. what I'm hearing from you is that you 
jump out of the airplane yep. and you go head down, yep. which is probably more like point eight, right? Because you're not, you're not going just like straight down. No, right? I'm going straight down, sometimes backwards the other way. Oh, okay. And so then um, what, when you feel like you've got as much speed as you possibly can, yeah. you have this recovery arc yep. that's gradual. Is And the length of that recovery arc is that something that's all based on feel or are you using the help of your, your, uh, your fly site or I've got tell a, me a little bit about, I've, about I've got part. a, I've got a flare track on my fly site that tells me how to do it. So, okay. so what I've got is I've, I'm, I learned that it's basically the same as my PPC entrance. So at 400 meters, it goes four at 300 meters. It goes three at 200 meters. It goes two, 100, one, and then it's got, um, flare and then basically it's I just keep it as entering but that's when you're flat so basically as soon as I hear four I start peeling out and then by the time I reach um, flare I want to be flat so it's like four three two one flare and you're just keeping everything the same you're not really changing but you're just trying to use those is that the actual pace Sorry, I keep cutting you off. Is yeah. that the actual pace? Yeah. Okay. It's like four, three, two, one, flare. And then I'm just using that to time my peel out. So if I go four, three, two, I just time that peel out. But if I'm if I start missing, like once I've started that peel out, I don't stop that rate. Even I just ignore the numbers after that almost and just keep that rate. Keep that rate no matter what. And if I nail the four, three, two, one flare, yeah, rad. That's cool. But once I start that rate, that's the rate I'm locked in until I, until I start going up and I'm really starting to go up. Then I just punch back and just basically punch back and just try to boost the rest of that out. So it's almost like a donkey kick halfway, halfway up, just donkey kick the crap out of it and just see how much you can punch out because you're already going up right? You just want to punch that last bit out because if you kept on that angle, it wouldn't be efficient enough to go higher. You just end up dragging too much out and breaking on the way up. So that's the only time that I break that arc is halfway up. Then I just snap it up and get pretty aggressive. Um, I don't usually tell people that. <laughs> now it's out in the world. <laughs> Come beat me. Well, bring it. Yeah, bring it. But yeah, I've never done a good flare. I've I've never done a good flare that I've actually been happy with. I've never nailed it, not yet, not once. So there's something to work towards. Yeah, I might even well, I'm going to Spaceland next year. Well, sorry, this year. So I might even start working on that again because I think 130 meters naturals is achievable. What about um I mean some of the some of the common mistakes that I see is that people like look up and their shoulders fall back yep. and they begin to de-arch. Yep. Uh, what are some some common mistakes that you see that you could help people like? Um, yeah, so I can uh, tell you the configuration if you want it. So basically, I'm slightly anhedral the entire time. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm flat. I'm in the speed. I'm in the speed position when I'm head down. As soon as I start peeling out, I've got anhedral arms. I start applying anhedral arms very slightly not over-exaggerated, and then I'm just locking in de-arched, and all I'm doing is um, slightly de-arched, slightly anhedral arms, 
and I'm just keeping that de-arch throughout the entire way. And the way I'm peeling up is almost like looking up. Everything else is just locked. Don't don't peel. Don't lean your head back too much. Otherwise, you're going to start bananaing and peeling, uh, peeling out of that de-arch. Um, and you'll start using your belly, and you'll start getting that belly position where you're arched and the air's just spilling off you. You you want to keep that de-arch and your anhedral as basically that's holding a track of air and you're using that as a rail almost you know you're like you're flying on this rail where your arms are holding like this and you're going if that makes sense using using the anhedral as a rail to hold on the entire time until the end when you just punch it and then you can go back into um speed flight which is flat straight arms um that's the way i go about it and seems to work good stuff um, um, before we, I'm, we're starting to run out of time. So, uh, or at least I've, I've got to get going pretty soon, but there's a couple of more things that, um, I want to ask you about and this year's competition world. Yeah. There were some, um, wink tips <laughs> that sort of like <laughs> captured everybody's imaginations from the sideline. And I think that there was quite a bit of, uh, drama or controversy surrounding it as well. So tell us a little bit about that story and, and, and um, yeah. what we can anticipate in, in, in the future. Yeah. So basically one of the competitors um, wore some, uh, I think they're about four inch longer. Um, so generally your wingsuit finishes at your hands and you've got that, got those little sticks at the side, um, your grippers. And basically what a competitor did and it was within the rules um, because there wasn't a clear definition of what a wingsuit was and the grippers, et cetera. So basically just testing the rules. Why not? Uh, nationals basically had four more inches of wing than everyone else. So they were extending the wing, so making it wider, which, again, produces more lift. Um, slight reduction in overall speed, but the lift that it generated was great for time and great for distance. So he ran that at nationals. Um and then everyone was trying to get them banned after that just so that by the time Worlds came around, they weren't a thing. They could get banned before Worlds actually happened. Um, and as it worked out, that they were within the rules. So I was already over in Arizona training and I got a message from uh, Chris Gaylor and he just said, hey, dude, um, I don't know if you're aware of what's going on. Uh, this is what's happening. Um I'm giving you access. I'm going to 3D print some things. If you want to swing me some money, we're just trying to make this competition fair. And he offered it to, man, I think about six other people, six other competitors, but only three of us ended up using them. Um, and I was able to gain maybe four or five seconds more in my time run and about three to 400 meters more in my distance runs. But I lost about 10 kilometers in my speed. But time and distance it it made such a difference that you know it was it was pretty hard to compete with um but the controversy is and i felt like a bit of a douche was it made the competition unfair all these people who trained all year they'd spent all this money to get to worlds you know and for some people to be running these modified things that they'd never even seen before or heard about and you were just in competition running them and there were 
there were protests throughout the entire competition, the whole way from jump one all the way to the end, um, and rightly so. Uh, I don't want to see them in competition. I just use them because, you know, I got offered and it was a chance to, you know, sort of stay at the top still. Um, and it wasn't breaking the rules. So I was like, oh, well, it's not breaking the rules technically. Um, I'll give it a crack. And thing is, yeah, they're, they're just, they are a little bit dangerous. There's a few people, like on my third jump, I tore a muscle in my forearm in competition and I was rehabbing the entire time and icing my arm after every jump, before every jump, just to just so my arm could function and I could still hold onto it and use my use my gripper. But yeah, I third jump in comp, man, I just tore my forearm to pieces. And so I was just rehab. I didn't even that much Yeah, it's just You're feeling that, that much pressure on those tips. Yeah, well, because I'd only done a handful of jumps before the actual competition with them. Like we we only got them like not even a week before comp. You know, so I put about maybe five jumps on them before I went to Worlds with them. And I think I was just gripping them and holding for dear life way too hard. That's all it was. And um, there's just so much stress on me. If I relaxed, I probably would have been fine. Uh, another guy used them once and he had arm pump for three days afterwards. And he didn't decide to use them in comp because he was like, he'd done thousands of wingsuit jumps, you know. And for him to just go, nah, I, I can't handle these. And then other people are in the competition are like, oh, you only did that because you had the because you had the wingtip extensions, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, look at Joe Riddler. I know he was coming back from injury, but if if these were the magic pill, he would have been, you know, right up there doing the same times, the same distances, the same everything. Man, it just, if you're a skillful person, you can use that extra 3% that nobody's able to access. And I think that's what was happening. I think, a lot of people with these with the extensions will do better, but I think you know it's not the way forward that I would like to see anyway. I'd just like to see a fair competition where it's about the wingsuit pilot, and I know a lot of people wanted to see, hey man, this could be good for the evolution of the sport, but maybe if you want to do that, maybe create another category, perhaps unlimited or something. I don't know. I don't know the solution. Mm. I don't want to hold the sport back. But at the same time, we've got to think about safety and and our pilots. And I think right now, with the skill of everyone at Worlds, I don't think it would be appropriate for all these people just to be designing all these weird and wacky extensions, like how far will they take it? You know, so after Worlds happen, um, the rules have actually been changed. So you cannot run these extensions anymore. The suit has to finish at your first knuckle, wingspan-wise, so they can't go any further. Um, how people are going to manipulate that is up to them now. Um, how manufacturers are going to manufacture their suits for those last ribs, up to them. Um, Parents are going to start putting rings around their children's arms to stretch them out <laughs> like uh, African women. Hey, I'm the most <laughs> – see, the thing is – I'm the most. I'm going to get disadvantaged out of this because I got T-Rex arms. You know, my arms are short; they're not long. I'm not an orangutan, um, so I, man, I'm going to give too much away. But I order my wingsuits longer than my hands, longer than they should normally fit, and I modify the ends so that I'm able to grab where the grippers are. So essentially, I've been running 
technically a little bit of extensions the whole time. Um, but now that's going to have to change. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to regulate it because how does a manufacturer know where everyone's knuckles going to be? Everyone's, mm. everyone's yeah, hands I are mean, different. Back to jujitsu, they would, they would measure stuff like that. Like they'd measure your gi. Yeah. Like you put it on and then they measure that. If there's a question, you know, like someone would call into question the, your, the fit of your gi and then yeah. the referee would come over and measure it. So I could imagine that being uh, similar in, in this case. What kind of false speeds were you guys getting uh, with those wingtips? So before the wingtips, I could get around sustainably. I could get around, um, you know, 37 to 40 kilometers an hour. And then with the wingtips, I was getting like low 30s, low 30 kilometers an hour. And anything out of that, I was like, oh, man, I'm doing crap going 40 kilometers an hour down. That's crap for these things. And I remember just being so mind blown. And the, we were getting like it was that much of a difference. We were getting further distances than we were before in our time runs, doing time runs. <laughs> you know, like we do a distance run but without the extensions, but in your time runs you were doing far further distances than those. That's because your fall rate was just so slow that you're able to carry it more. Wow. Yeah, it, it wow. was insane. So like, there's Put it this way. So there's something to explore there. I mean, 30 yeah. miles per hour, that's a survivable impact that's speed, right? kilometers I mean, an hour. Kilometers. Even. even lower. <laughs> that's, that's you can do an impact roll. You, you would just have to need to train a little bit of uh, parkour and uh, you can just roll right just, out of that. Just cartwheel right out. I think um, like uh. the biggest thing, um, like my distances, I was saying earlier that 4.0 was manageable. With this, I got a 4.6 wind corrected run like that's unheard of 4.6 kilometers going from 4.0s to 4.6 with just one modification like that's that's amazing i mean but this is also really what we're stepping into with this is like uh close to ridge soaring capabilities like being able to like step out into yeah. a strong wind and and ridge soar your a wingsuit yeah it's it's absolutely insane. And, you know, I, I've still got them. I, I didn't want to let them go. So I've still got them so I can play with them on um, my other suits. I'm not going to do the flare challenge in them. I, I'm very tempted to because the flare power on those things was absolutely insane. Uh, I might do one, but I won't post it on the Skydo because I don't think that's fair either. Um, well, sounds like they need to make another class. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. This has been amazing conversation. Uh, I think we could take this for hours and hours again. Let's do it again because uh, there's a lot of other stuff I'd love to chat with you about as far as like technical wingsuit flying stuff. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for your time, man. And um, yeah, I look forward to uh, chatting with you again soon. Yeah, no worries. You're free to pick my brain whenever you want, mate. Just give me a buzz. And uh, do you do online coaching or is there anything? How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, just my the easiest way to get touch with me would be either instagram or lukerogers.ws at gmail.com that's my email address um but the fastest way is always instagram just message me on instagram it's the fastest way always check that um all right yeah thanks again luke no worries we hope you enjoyed this episode if you have any thoughts about what you've just heard please don't hesitate to hit us up 
A big shout out to Mark Stockwell, our sound mixer and co-producer. We love you, man. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please visit exitpointpodcast.com. See you on the next one.